All right, next we have vomiting. Now, vomiting is controlled by a place, interestingly enough, in your brain called the vomiting center. The vomiting center has three triggers. One is the cerebral cortex. So if you know someone who gets nervous and throws up, that's what we mean. Cerebral cortex controls thought. Sensory signals. If you see someone else throw up or you smell it and you throw up, that's a sensory signal. Um, if you've ever seen them uh, open, up, open up a cyst in size and drain it and you smell that smell and you... That's a sensory signal. Then we have what's called vestibular. Who here gets motion sickness? That's vestibular. So you get dizzy or you get in a car, you get in a plane, whatever it is, on the merry-go-round. That's vestibular. Now, this is called the vomiting center of the brain. In addition to the vomiting center, we also have another center that can cause vomiting, and that's called the chemoceptor trigger zone, or CTZ. The chemoceptor trigger zone has, again, three places that can stimulate it. The first one is the stomach. You eat something you didn't like, or you get an infection, and your body goes, no thank you, try and get it back out. There's also receptors in the small intestine. And this is when you throw up and you don't feel better afterwards because it's in the small intestine. It didn't help. And then finally, we have chemicals that can directly stimulate the CTZ. And this would be like um, uh, chemotherapy. So you give a patient chemotherapy and it directly stimulates the chemoceptor trigger zone, making the person vomit. Now, here's the key thing. Antiemetics are better at preventing vomiting than they are at stopping it. So what's the, what's the application to that rule? Give it to them early. If they say, I feel a little nauseated, and you know they just got something that can make them nauseated, or you know that they're on a drug that can make them nauseated, don't wait. Give it to them now. Say again? Ipecac, um, I'm not, it's, it stimulates the uh, receptors in the stomach, makes you vomit. Um, Ipecac is something that they used to tell every, every parent in America, you should have this in your uh, medicine cabinet in case your kids swallow something poisonous, you give it to them, make them throw up. They don't do that anymore because they've decided that a lot of substances, it's worse if you throw it back up than if you keep it in the stomach. So now they just say, take your kid to the ER and have their stomach pumped. All right. Um, now, as far as anti-vomiting anti drugs, the first anti-vomiting drugs are the serotonin receptor antagonists. So if you block serotonin, you can make a person stop vomiting or stop having nausea. All of these drugs end in Citron. They are Megatron. No, never mind. So they are, most they are the most effective at preventing chemotherapy vomiting that we have. We also use them for radiology, for surgery, 
You can also use them for um, pregnancy, for morning sickness, and they're available either PO or IV. The effects are augmented by adding dexamethasone. By the way, what are the side effects of dexamethasone? Dexamethasone, can't talk. What are the side effects of dexamethasone? Short-term effects first, what are they? What is dexamethasone? It's a steroid. So, what are the short-term adverse effects of dexamethasone? Hyper what? Hyperglycemia. Give me another one. Give me another hyper. Hypertension. All right. Give me another one. It can cause electrolyte imbalances like potassium and sodium. Give me another one. Makes you feel hungry. Fine, whatever. <laughs> what else will it do? It also suppresses the immune system so it can enhance infections or cause more infections. What are the long-term effects? Okay, lipodystrophies or redistribution like the big belly, moon face, and buffalo hump. What else? Say again? Okay, demineralization of bones, so osteoporosis, and... Okay, what causes the skin? Pro, pro, protein breakdown. So it's going to cause a person to lose muscle and also lose collagen of the skin, giving them what kind of skin? Paper. Tissue paper skin. Protein catabolism is the correct name. But protein breakdown. Osteoporosis, yes. All right. Um, so, back to serotonin. Um, the serotonin antagonists, the adverse effects are headache, diarrhea, and dizziness. They do not cause EPS. EPS stands for extrapyramidal symptoms, and we'll talk about these in a moment. So, the drug names, ondansetron, granisetron, and dilacetron, and what do they have in common? Citron. Now, the one you need to know, it's one of your must-know drug lists, Zofran or Ondansetron. Um, speaking of must-know drug lists, we need to set up a time to finish up our must-know drug list. So when do you want to do that? This Friday? No. All right, well, you let me know when you want to do it. Next. Yes. The must-know drug list is not, the test for that is next semester. All right, the next class of drug we have are the dopamine agonists. So, the serotonin ones work by blocking serotonin. The dopamine ones work by increasing dopamine. Now, they all come from, actually, they 
all originally come from antipsychotic medications. Haven't you ever seen the movie The Dream Team? No? No? Michael Keaton? Lloyd Chris, Christopher Lloyd? Oh, it's about a it's about a group of uh, crazies who break out of their prison and go see a baseball game. Yeah, well, the drug that they're on is Thorazine, and Thorazine was the very first dopamine agonist we had. In fact, um, chlorpromazine and promethazine were both originally trying to improve Thorazine. And actually, it didn't work as well, but it was pretty good at preventing nausea. Haloperidol, which is the next one down, that one is still used as an antipsychotic. So, all of these dopamine agonists work by enhancing dopamine and can be used as antipsychotics. Although promethazine and chlorpromazine are not very good at that, they're much better at preventing nausea. So promethazine is also known as phenergan and chlorpromazine is also known as compazine. Um, and then metoclopramide works by affecting both serotonin and dopamine. We'll talk about it in a moment. All right, now, the only thing that you really need to know about promethazine. First of all, any of these drugs that have dopamine, or that enhance dopamine, can cause what we call extrapyramidal symptoms. Extrapyramidal symptoms are a variety of excessive movements that can be permanent. So one of them is called akathisia where a person would do like repetitive motions over and over again. So perhaps like rocking, they'll sit in their chair and they'll just rock because they can't sit still. Any of you ever have a friend who's like always doing this? Whenever they sit, their knees like... Okay. That's kind of, you can think of that as maybe a mild, mild form of akathisia. But what we're talking about is someone who not just, you know, a little bit, they're like their whole body is going. You know, he has to sit still, and they're like, I can't. Akathisia. Another one, um, anyway, you'll learn all about these when you get to, uh, to psych, but the important thing is that some of them are irreversible. Once a patient has it, it never goes back. So, phenergan and, and compazine are not really drugs you want to be on long term because of that possibility. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so the question was, can Finnegan be used for allergies? And the answer is yes. In addition to its dopamine action, it also has anticholinergic and also has antihistaminic um, properties. So you can use it for a rash because it'll help the person not feel as itchy. Now, major adverse effects of Finnegan. Uh, Drowsiness is number one. Patient is going down. Do not let them drive a vehicle. Now, if you give it IV, what they've found is that if it infiltrates, I mean, what does that mean? Okay, so if it leaks into the tissue rather than going into the vein, it can cause some severe tissue damage. So when, when I worked as a nurse just about six years ago now, we used to push Finnegan all the time. Now... Um, Michelle, you gave Finnegan, and Claudia, you gave Finnegan. How do they do it now? IV what? 
piggyback over what time period? Half it. 15 minutes. So they usually give it over 15 minutes. And the reason for that is by diluting it, you decrease the amount of tissue damage. So like in the VA, there's a few people who are still allowed to push it, but for the most part, it's given drip now because of that potential tissue damage. So what's the number one major thing you need to know about Finnegan? Drowsiness. What's the other thing you need to know? Tissue damage with push, if it infiltrates. So now you give it as a drip. And then what's the thing that might be permanent? Extrapyramidal symptoms, which are repetitive motions that the patient can't stop doing. And they may be temporary or they may be permanent. Say again? Lessen the EPS? Yes, but that's beyond the scope of today. Possibly. Probably not. Okay, next we have dronabinol. Now, dronabinol is a very fun drug. It's also called Marinol. So tell me, what's the active ingredient in it? Say again? Whatever's in weed. Marinol, marijuana. What, now, for those of you street pharmacists in the room, what is the active substance in marijuana? THC. So basically, we take the THC out of the marijuana, we put it into a drug, and then we give it to the patient. That sounds nice. Yeah, that sounds nice. Now, why do we give it? Nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy. So it can make patients who are on chemotherapy, okay, happy is one word for it, feel less nauseated. Now, what is one of the major side effects of marijuana? Okay, I heard someone say increased appetite. Now, what's the real name for it? The munchies. So another thing is what happens to patients who are on chemotherapy? What do they tend to look like? They look thin. And what's the word for that? Emaciated or cachectic. So they have cachexia. And the reason for that is because they're not eating enough. So when you give them Marinol, they suddenly feel hungrier and more like eating. So you give it for those two reasons. Prevent the nausea, make the patient feel better, and increase appetite. We also use it in HIV AIDS for the exact same reason. Patients who have HIV AIDS will also have cachexia and anorexia. Now, the adverse effects. We have a couple different things. So the first one is the psychoactivity. Um, you might colloquially hear this being called high or stoned. So the patient may experience dysphoria, which is what we could call in the vernacular a bad trip. Come on, you guys don't know your drug lingo at all, do you? So, it may cause dysphoria, also known as a bad trip, or it may cause the opposite, which we called euphoria. Um, it's not personalization, it is 
depersonalization. So how many of you have ever seen the Bill Cosby where he talks about being high? And he talks about like, and then the person like is like, look at that. It's like, dude, it's my hand, but it's not my hand. I can make it do stuff. This is cool. So they feel like parts of their body aren't really parts of their body. And occasionally you'll hear about horror stories of someone who's stoned and cuts off their hand because they didn't really think it was part of them. That's because of depersonalization. That's an extreme example, but that doesn't happen very often. But depersonalization can happen. And then the other one is temporal dissociation. What is temporal dissociation? So temporal means time and dissociation means you dissociate from time. You have no idea what time it is. So I'll never forget when I was in high school, one of my friends was like, dude, Pat, he's like, pot, it's just like so cool because if you take it, you know, how like we're, like we're sitting in some swings and she goes, you could just sit. You should, no, this is high school. You're just hanging out. She's like, she's like, you could just sit here in this swing, just like we're doing now, for like eight hours, and you wouldn't even know it. It would just be like, you can just do nothing. Well, she was another missionary kid. <laughs> We were we were we were at the we were at mission meeting, which is like an annual retreat. So, <laughs> yes. So temporal dissociation is you lose the passage of time. By the way, opioids can also cause this. My brother got his uh, his septum worked on. He had like deviated septum, and so after the surgery. By the way, anyone here ever had surgery for deviated septum? Okay, well, they jam about this much gauze up your nose. <laughs> it's amazing how much gauze comes out when they start unpacking it. But they put them on something, Lorset Plus or something, and he was just like, he's like, it's the most amazing thing. He's like, I can spend the whole day in front of the worst television programs, and I don't even care. And the only thing that has to move is my thumb. Nothing else has to move at all. I don't itch. I don't scratch. I don't have to change positions. <laughs> Again, temporal dissociation. In addition to that, it can also cause hypotension and tachycardia, and it has a fairly high abuse potential. Now, the thing about, the thing about Marinol, though, is it's actually weaker than modern marijuana strains. What is it? Three? They change. Oh, all right. Well, it's a three. It's a schedule three then. Um, by the way, what's the big difference between schedule two and schedule three drugs? Controlled substances. Okay. One is logging how you have to do the chain of command or not chain of command, chain of custody. But the other one is if a, if a, a patient comes in to the office, doctor's office, and the doctor is not there. They can call in 
a Schedule 3. But you can't call in a Schedule 2. You have to have a written prescription. So you can't write for either of them. Well, in this state, anyway. Some states, they can write for Schedule 2, even. Yeah, it just depends on the state. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It'll it'll yeah. If you screen if you do a, dr- a drug scheme drug screen for a patient on Marinol, they'll show up as positive for cannabinoids is what it's usually listed under. All right. Um, oh, by the way, do, do any of you remember the uh, marijuana case that came before the Supreme Court about two years ago? Legal, the, the question was whether um, whether California has the authority to legalize marijuana or whether it's only under the jurisdiction of the DEA through the federal government. Guess who voted against California? Yeah. All the Democrats, like um, Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, and Stevens. Guess who voted for legalizing the marijuana? Not all of them. Scalia voted against it, but Clarence Thomas voted for it. Yeah. Because it doesn't say, it doesn't give the federal government the authority in the Constitution, so therefore he's like, well, the Constitution's clear. You know, the state should be free to, le- to regulate that however they want to. Yeah, well, now, Marinol is very different than the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know about that. Yeah. All right. Next, we have some other category. In the other category for antiemetics, we have glucocorticoids. What's the number one for that? Dexamethasone, and then the number two is methylprednisolone. And how do you pronounce that for real? Solumedrol. Now, methylprednisolone, there's two versions of it. One can be given by mouth and one can be given by injection. The one that's given by mouth is called Medrol, and it's not that common in the hospital. But the one that can be given by injection is called Solumedrol. Um, And they are not approved by the FDA, and it's usually used in cancer patients along with Zofran. And then we also have benzodiazepines, uh, which we're going to learn about in a couple of days. These are also not FDA approved, and lorazepam or Ativan would be the drug there. Not for that purpose. Yeah. So, so they're approved for other things, but you can also use them for this. Just the FDA hasn't said they work. All right, um, motion sickness drugs. You do need to know these because most of them are over the counter. And, uh, you know, well, some of you have it. So you have anticholinergic drugs like scopolamine. You've got antihistamines like dramamine, meclizine, and cyclozine. They all work by making the patient drowsy. So you're less drowsy, you've got less stimulation in general, so you're less likely to vomit because of stimulation. That's the end of story. They do have some that are less drowsy, but they also don't work quite as well. 
Uh, yes, you increase the risk of falls. Now, this is the most important thing. Because they all work by making the patient drowsy, they can all increase the risk of falling down. Even though you don't throw up and you don't feel as dizzy, you throw up. Uh, you fall because you're drowsy. <laughs>